You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. The T-Biz Podcast delivers T-News that you need to know. A recap of the week's major headlines with commentary and cultural trends hosted by Dan Bolton. It is the voice of origin for tea professionals and enthusiasts worldwide. Think of us as a digital caravan of storytellers bringing authentic, authoritative, exotic, and exclusive stories to you weekly from the tea lands. Each week, the Tea Biz podcast summarizes news with the greatest impact on the tea industry. But tea requires far more nuanced coverage than the recitation of production volumes and commodity prices. That is why the Tea Biz podcast is paired with the more inclusive Tea Biz blog and Tea Journey magazine. The podcast offers a weekly mix of news and features. It is innovative and interactive permitting listeners to conveniently contact reporters at Origin to ask questions that are answered via text messages that are delivered privately to their phone. Welcome. Here are the headlines. Brand relevance in chaotic times. Nepal announces a national tea traceability project. The Danish Tea Association merges with the European Speciality Tea Association. And Yelp names a tea house to its list of top 100 places to eat in America. More in a minute, but first, this important message. Avani empowers rural women practicing sustainable agriculture, including tea and crafts, such as weaving with natural fiber and plant-based dyes. Up in the towering Himalayas, Kuman is one of India's oldest tea regions. Today, we raise our cups in the name of Avani Kuman a nonprofit dedicated to strengthening farming communities. Cheers to a brighter future for all. To donate, visit avani-kuman.org. Marketing consultancy Profit announced its brand relevance index this week, scoring companies during a pandemic year that rewarded convenience, comfort, trust, and dependability. Apple, Peloton, KitchenAid, Lego, Costco, Honda, PlayStation, and Amazon all made the top 10. The Mayo Clinic and Johns Hopkins received positive accolades from the 13,000 consumers surveyed. Apple has held the top spot for the past six years and seems invincibly relevant. However, Consumer appreciation for Peloton, which rose from number 35 to number two on the list, 
the Mayo Clinic, which advanced from number 24 to number 4 on the list, Lego, which moved from number 28 to number 5, and Costco, which moved from number 21 to 6, all reflect behavioral changes easily traced to the pandemic. Profit credited these brands for, quote, adapting quickly to consumers' changing needs and expectations, but they do so by remaining ever more true to themselves, end quote. No tea companies appear on the brand relevance list, but in 2020, consumers rewarded tea brands with their loyalty during a time of disruption. While many consumer brands saw declines due to lockdowns, tea drinkers calmly steeped at home. The lesson to apply from Profit's consumer research, quote, is that all of these brands are consumer-obsessed, ruthlessly pragmatic, distinctively inspired, and pervasively innovative, end quote. Tea brands should take note, especially the point about becoming pervasively innovative. Business Insight Chinese luxury brand Zhu Qing advanced to number two on the World Brand Lab's 2021 analysis of the world's top 10 luxury tea brands. Twinings in the UK, TWG in Singapore, Harney and Sons in the U.S., and Dilma in Sri Lanka were all top-ranked. World Brand Tea Lab analyzed 5,000 tea brands to identify 300 global super brands. China is home to many thousands of tea brands, but few are widely known beyond the Great Wall. Publicly declaring the provenance of Nepali tea will increase sales globally, according to advocates of the Sustainable Export Promotion Project. The proposed tea traceability system is financed by the federal government. Quote, this project will do the work of branding by producing quality tea, end quote, writes Bishnu Kumar Bhattari, executive director of the Nepal Tea and Coffee Development Board, part of the Ministry of Industry and Commerce. He called on farmers to be honest and to make the effort a success. The 36-month project will enable the entire supply chain to share information, much of which will be available to consumers. The government allocated 175 million rupees, which is about $1.5 million, for the project. Business Insight Throughout Nepal's recent history, nearly all its tea exports were used in blends, obscuring its identity. Eighty percent of the country's tea is processed as CTC, cut, tear, curl. Eighty percent of exports are to India. The remaining 20 percent, approximately five million kilos, is handmade. These higher-value orthodox teas are purchased by Germany, the U.S., Canada, and Japan, accounting for 10% of export volume. Nepal has recently expanded planting to 13 districts beyond the existing five, which produced a combined 25 million kilos in 2019. These districts, mainly in the West, are better suited to orthodox production. 
The five-year-old Danish Tea Association will merge with the European Speciality Tea Association, transferring more than 50 members to become ESTA's Danish chapter. Danish Association President Alex Kaye currently serves as vice president of the London-based ESTA. Initially cautious of the newly formed ESTA, Kaye said, quote, we are totally confident that our good work of the past will continue in Denmark, but within the wider community which is being grown by ESTA, end quote. Business Insight European Speciality Tea Association Executive Director David Beale said that chapters operate with a degree of independence, electing their own board over two years. Chapter members in Denmark can still promote specialty tea locally, but they will also be able to network with the wider global specialty tea community, he said. ESTA members reside in 28 countries. Congratulations to the Copper Kettle Tea Bar in Foley, Alabama, for making Yelp's 2021 list of the 100 top places to eat in America. The many steak, sushi, tiki, hot dog, chicken, and fine dining winners on the Yelper's Choice list all serve tea, but the Copper Kettle, which ranked 66, is the only tea-themed eatery to meet Yelp's extensive criteria. The Gulf Coast Shop offers sampling, tea classes, and high tea with a huge selection of 115 traditional and sophisticated offerings everything from wuyi oolongs and pu'er to gunpowder green teas. There are also wellness fruit and honeybush teas, as well as rooibos, mate, and chai. The shop hosts musicians and tea by the fireside. Quote, We're a little tea house with a big heart, writes co-owners and sisters Robin Peters and Susan Adams. The shop, housed in a 1930s-era cottage, opened in its current location in 2015. Business Insight Starbucks, one of the largest tea retailers in the world, announced this week it will no longer sweeten its iced tea. Customers can add as much cane sugar as they like at no additional charge, but unsweetened is the new default making tea a zero-calorie menu option. And now, a word from our sponsor. Q-Trade Teas works with tea purveyors at every scale, from promising startups to the world's largest multinational beverage brands in the hot, iced, and bottled tea segments. With U.S.-based formulation, blending, and packaging services, Q-Trade can help you innovate, scale up, and grow your specialty tea brand. For more information, visit our website, qtradetees.com. This week, T-Biz shares the secret to creating tea blends that sell. A conversation with master blender Samir Pruthi, CEO at Tea Affair in Calgary. And we travel to Oregon for a visit with Angela McDonald, President of the U.S. League of Tea Growers. Timeless blends like Iconic Earl Grey, Bold Yorkshire Gold, and Constant Comment, a 
blend that Ruth Bigelow created in her kitchen in 1945 provide the sturdy foundation on which some of the world's most treasured tea companies stand. How creamy do you want your Earl Grey? How much citrus do people like in a green blend? Which inclusions with health benefits are best sellers? Blending tea is both art and science, with a lot of trial and error. I'm Jessica Natale Woolard, based in British Columbia, Canada. Today I'm speaking with Samir Pruti, CEO of Tea Affair, a Canadian blending company based in the province of Alberta. With a background in culinary management, Samir got his start importing specialty teas in the late 1990s. He was intrigued by blending and flavoring, how to find the right combination of botanicals, strawberry, mango, lychee. What flavor do people gravitate to? How can blending help achieve business objectives? Over the last 20-plus years, Samir has built a business blending teas using quality raw material imported from around the world. His aim is to blend as much tea in Canada as possible. In our conversation today, we'll focus on how companies can use custom blends to their advantage, and we'll hear tips on Samir's best practices for blending. You have a lot of experience blending teas. Can you share with our listeners what are the business benefits of creating specialty tea blends? There's a lot of benefits to a company when they start blending tea. Creating tea blends with a purpose in mind is also creates a nice brand for yourself. The company enjoy their own domain, like where they can create their own customer loyalty, which they're coming back for their own products and they're looking for their products, yes? So it sounds like it, in a way, plays a marketing function. So you have to create a lot of buzz around those things. So that's what the creating the tea blends is all about. Blending is a big, big game. So you have to know, because there's so many ingredients. We have close to, close to um, you know, 150 different ingredients we deal with. Between herbs, fruits, spices... So you, it's a, it's a big game, uh, and to keep it very similar and same tasting throughout the years is very hard because suppliers change. It's all mostly to do with the crop. If the crop is bad, then you have a bad product in your hand, and we try not to buy all those bad products anyway. But yeah, it's a, it's a big uh, big learning curve because blending is one part, flavoring is another part. So. You have to bring those two together to get a good balance of your ingredients. There is a, what do you call it, uh, like glitters you get like in the market. Similar type of product, but it's being added to the tea. When you make your liquid of the tea, it'll have gold glitters in it. I see. So we, we do not do things like that because our additives, our products are more or less more towards nature as much as we can rather than adding products like the silver balls or, you know, like heart shapes, candies and things like that. We don't do that as much at all. We stayed away from it uh, some years ago. So normally we are for making the product as natural as possible right now. And that's what our goal is to keep it that way. On that subject, I've spoken with a lot of tea shop owners throughout the pandemic who have said that 
blends with health properties are popular right now. What are your go-to inclusions with health properties? We have seen a lot of the rise in uh, ingredients like turmeric and ginger. Also, we see a lot of the European herbs types like chamomile and lemon balm and things like that. They're doing very well in the marketplace. And if you include those types of uh, ingredients in your blends and adding in the right dosage, not mixing it with sugar balls, <laughs> as we say, but you know, like, uh, yeah, if you do it in the right way, those are in demand right now. Yeah. And they will be in demand for quite a bit of years to come by for sure. If someone is interested in making some magic in their shop and blending their own teas, what's some advice you can share with them? They got to know what their customer demands. One thing is that, and then go around it and uh, build uh, their portfolio for what they're demanding and mixing the ingredients which go well together. You know, there's so many blendings being done. Now it's like you have such a wide era of blended products available in the market already by either the Canadian companies or abroad. But it's just uh, knowing your market. That's, that's what they can do and mix them together and see how they go about it. But always test market your product before you go into mass markets. And how would you advise someone to, to test out a product? Well, start in a small scale, find two or three customers who are coming to your shop often and try with them and do a tea tasting with them and say, well, this is what I've blended and see what their response is. And if their response is positive, go with some more group of customers uh, and uh, go about it, start doing it and then give it special names, name cells. Though he's been blending tea for more than 20 years, Samir says he's still learning new things every year. How to incorporate new ingredients, how to adapt to changing tastes, trends, and flavors. We thank Samir for sharing his insights and ongoing education in blending with TeaBiz. And we encourage you, our listeners, to explore how blending can benefit your business. Growers of high-quality tea in the United States set out to create something that isn't available from anybody anywhere else, an expression of regional flavor grounded in local terroir. The president of the U.S. League of Tea Growers explains that while quantities are small, no one is going to buy a Mississippi yellow tea from Sri Lanka because it will never be the same. Today we're speaking with Angela McDonald, president of the U.S. League of Tea Growers and owner of Oregon Tea Traders in Eugene, Oregon. Angela, thank you for talking with us. Thank you for having me today. We'd like to talk about the U.S. League of Tea Growers and learn a little bit about the organization. Can you tell us how many acres are likely planted in the United States that's a slightly hard question to answer, as with most things in tea, there isn't a very clear-cut answer. Um, but there's, I'd say, a little less than 100 acres of tea planted in the U.S. currently. The Charleston Tea Plantation is the largest. The Great Mississippi Tea Company is probably the second largest that I know of. There's quite a few smaller farms that are mostly between, you know, one to three acres in Hawaii, some in Louisiana, Texas, California, Oregon, handful of other states. So, 
the majority of it is around the South, Hawaii, and the Pacific Northwest. That doesn't mean that it can't grow anywhere else. It's just where most of it is at the moment. Now, most of those um, plants are small enough that they are, are young enough that they're not producing a lot of uh, finished tea at the moment. However, the Charleston Tea Plantation produces um, a lot of tea. Great Mississippi Tea Company, I think, produced... Um, I think they were saying a few thousand pounds um, last year and every year their, their plants are at the point where they're ramping up very quickly. They'll be up to a ton of tea probably this year. And um, then the growers in Hawaii produce probably a few hundred pounds each. So let's talk about the marketing of USTs. I would speculate that much of the uh, international market doesn't even know that the United States is producing tea. So as you try to get your products outside the domestic market, what sort of hurdles are you facing? Well, there are both hurdles and there are, you know, things that make it easier for us. So the hurdles are going to be cost largely. We, you know, are going to have higher production costs than some other countries, not every country. Japan, for example, has very high production costs and their teas tend to be very expensive. And yet, you know, they're, they produce a lot and um, sell it internationally all over the world. What we are trying to encourage growers to focus on is specialty tea instead of commodity tea for exactly that reason. In the U.S., just simply the land costs, the machinery, various things, it's going to be, we're going to have a, high, have a higher cost of production than in some countries. And so if we're talking about producing just vast quantities of low quality tea, we're not going to be competitive with countries like Argentina and India and Kenya. It's just not really very viable. Whereas if we're making specialty tea, that creates a whole different niche that we fit perfectly into. Because if you are a Darjeeling tea fan, you are not going to buy a, you know, even if they could label it as Darjeeling, you're not going to buy a Darjeeling tea from Kenya, because it, it won't be the same thing. You're going to buy a Darjeeling tea from Darjeeling, maybe from your favorite estate in Darjeeling or your favorite, you know, importer or whoever. If you are a fan of puer teas, um, specifically from Yunnan province in China, you're not going to be buying a puer tea probably from the U.S. You're going to want the one that's specifically from there. So if we produce really good high quality teas here in the US and get them out into the international market. Nobody's going to try to buy a Mississippi tea from uh, Sri Lanka because it won't be the same thing. And so you end up having, again, with the terroir and the regional flavor profiles, you end up having a product that isn't available from anybody else in the world. And so consumers in China, in India, in, you know, Russia or wherever, they will say if they want a, a tea that has the same flavor as a tea from Oregon, Oregon's the only place they're going to get it. The goal is to develop specialized teas for the international market. How do you spread the word? How do you market these teas? 
Well, for one, the, the goal isn't just to produce it for international markets. A lot of tea producing countries, especially ones that have higher production costs, are producing teas mostly for their own or for people in their own country for domestic consumption. International consumption, of course, just makes the market larger. But that isn't necessarily what we should only be focusing on. So it's sometimes hard to get teas in front of people. So it's it's a matter of figuring out how to get people to try it. For domestic customers, you know, you can uh, work with other companies, you know, that have wide audiences and get them to start sending out samples or, you know, talk about your teas and then more and more people will try it in terms of international, or you can also go to things like markets, farmers markets, whatever, and sample your teas. That's a really critical part of it. What is the growth curve? Can you put a timeline on a certain level of success? Well, See, the, one of the problems with tea is that it's a slow crop. It's not, you know, it's not like a tomato crop where you put it in the ground and a few months later you have your harvest to sell. Tea plants can take between three to five years to really start producing enough tea to um, really market because it takes a lot of those little tips, those little leaves to be able to make even a pound of tea. And then how do you measure success? Is it by amount sold? Is it by consumer awareness? How do you personally measure success? Well, if I were a tea farmer, I would say that I was successful if I actually started making money at farming tea. (laughs) Because the first five years or so, while this crop is getting established, you are just sinking money into it. But then after that, the tea plants live for a very long time. They can live for a hundred years if they're well cared for. And so it's a total money sink for five years. And then the next 95, as somebody said recently, it's a money printing machine. Leaves just pop up. You may have to prune a little bit or put a little bit of fertilizer down. But other than that, you pretty much leave them and they just start popping leaf up. And as long as you are willing to process it or even harvest it and sell it to somebody who will process it, it's just money is just growing up out of it. So the that's been the big hurdle for most growers is getting past those initial first few years, which when you talk about it, when you say, you know, oh, the first five years are rough and then the next 95 are great, that seems so simple. Those five years can be pretty rough to get through. So Angela, thank you for your time. I appreciate your insights. We've been speaking with Angela McDonald, president of the U.S. League of Tea Growers and owner of Oregon Tea Traders in Eugene, Oregon. Angela, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great to talk with you today. Intrigued by what you heard in today's podcast? Would you like to learn more from our global network of T-Biz journalists and tea experts? Contact them direct through subtext, a private message-based platform. Avoid the chaos of social media and start a conversation that matters. Subtext's message-based platform lets you privately ask meaningful questions of the tea experts, academics, and tea biz journalists reporting from the tea lands. You see their responses via SMS texts, which are sent direct to your phone. 
visit our website and subscribe to Subtext to instantly connect with the most connected people in tea. Remember to visit the T-Biz website for more comprehensive coverage. That's www.t-bizbiz.com. Thanks for listening. Farewell till next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.